All right, kids, you are dismissed. Your teachers will be right over there at those red doors. Miss Danielle is waving. Um, and you guys are going to have a good time. So go enjoy. Everybody else, stay here. And meet me in Isaiah chapter 54. Uh, Isaiah in the Old Testament, but if you have a physical Bible, it's pretty much right in the middle there, so you guys can look that up. As you're doing that, um, let me introduce myself. I'm Steve. I'm the lead pastor here at Discovery. I want to say thank you again to the John family for lighting our candle. I, I say this every week. Uh, during Advent, but one of my favorite parts of this season is just having our different family units participate in this. Such a, a fun way to bring uh, families into it, but also for our community to get a picture of, uh, of who we are as a church. So thank you to all the, the families that have been a part of lighting the candles over the last four weeks. Now, we've been starting this Advent uh, conversation each week with this for us, what is an old practice? Something that we started doing when we first uh, began meeting again in public after COVID had started. So fall of 2020, this, this very simple uh, exercise for us to get into our bodies and to get present in the moment. So I want to invite you, if you're, if you're willing, to just put your hands out like this. This posture of openness and receiving that sort of uh, reminds us and says that we are here expectance. Right, we're here ready to receive. So hands out, hands open, take a deep breath. Then take your hands and put them over your heart. Again, this reminder that we are here, that we are alive, that we are breathing, that we were given the gift of a new day, and that whatever else we may bring into today, into Advent, into Christmas, that each day is a gift and an opportunity to know God's love and grace and mercy in a fresh way. So again, take a breath and then pray with me. Father, we are grateful for the gift of today. And as we are now on the home stretch of Advent, so to speak, a, a week away from Christmas, as we've been thinking about these big themes of hope and peace and joy and now love, as we've been remembering the story. The story of you sending your son Jesus to earth as a baby and all of the risky vulnerability that that entails. How it is this very clear demonstration of your love for us, your desire to be with us. So we come in uh, again to this moment today, God, probably with lots of different things going on. Whatever it is that we bring in this morning, God, would you hold it for us? So that we might be able, we might be present, just as we, we postured ourselves a minute ago, that we might be ready and open to receive whatever it is that you want to, to give us today. It might be a truth that we sing. It might be something you speak to us through communion. It might be your scripture the 
lighting of the candle, a conversation that we have, whatever it is, God, would you speak to us through these things today? We are open and ready. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Isaiah 54, and we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses this morning. I just want to read 4 through 8 right now, which begins like this. Do not be afraid. This is the most often repeated command in all of Scripture. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So again, here we are, week four, the final week of Advent. The theme today is love. Our overarching theme for this conversation this year has been that phrase, now in flesh appearing from the, the old Christmas hymn, right? Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, O come let us adore him. Christ the Lord. So for a couple weeks now, we've been exploring the incarnation of Jesus, God in flesh appearing through Isaiah in the Old Testament, through the Advent themes, and then through the great commandments, which you can read in a a variety of the accounts of, of Jesus, but in Luke 10, it says it this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So we've been looking at the good news of Advent, the, the, the truth that in Jesus, who is fully human and also fully God, all these dimensions of ourself, heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of it is held together in an integrated whole called the Imago Dei, the image of God. So far we've looked at, again, week one, hope. Hope and strength by talking about our bodies. Then peace, peace and the connection to loving God with our minds by talking about our brains. And then last week, joy and soul by talking about our spirits. And now, finally today, love and heart, our affections, our emotions. Now, one of the massive questions of our age is the role that artificial intelligence will play in our lives. There are wide-ranging ramifications that, that uh, impact nearly every area of life, right? Ethics, economics, safety, how we define human flourishing. All of this wrapped up in this development of artificial intelligence. And for every benefit, right, like the reduction of human error, there are also these, uh, let's be honest, there are these terrifying drawbacks. The question was, the other day, uh, my daughter asked a question. I don't even remember what the question was, but my wife answered it. And she just like reflexively sort of off the cuff said, thank you, Alexa. Which like we don't even have one of those things in our house. But this is the world, right, that our kids are growing up in where you can just speak a question out into the universe. And this voice responds with the answer, right? It's bizarre. There's obviously, I mean, that's kind of a silly one. There are more terrifying ones. My, uh, this guy that I follow on Twitter, Shea Serrano, has this bit now where anytime a, like a crazy article comes out, he has this like 
please watch a movie bit. So here are, uh, this is like a, a warehouse full of robot dogs, and they're all like moving together in unison. If you watch, it's very creepy, and his, his thing again is like, just please watch a movie. Like, this is how we all die. The dogs take over, and this is the end of human. We have civilization, right? So we have, uh, we have these uh, benefits. We have these legitimate concerns, some of them silly, some of them quite significant. So far, though, I would say that maybe the greatest gift of artificial intelligence, and this is just my personal biased opinion, is, is the, the bots or the algorithms that create these sort of generic responses to questions. Right, so there's like this thing right now called Jet Chat GPT or whatever. You like punch something in and it gives you this thing back. Right, so here's what we're gonna do for just a moment. You can do this with all kinds of different topics. You can do this even with Hallmark Christmas movie scripts. So we are gonna have. I'm gonna have my host come back and help me out here. We're gonna have a very brief, um, dramatic rendition of a Hallmark Christmas movie script. Yes. Um, written by a bot, okay? Written by a bot. So I, I will be playing the role of the narrator. Yuen uh, is playing the role of businessman. Not a businessman, just businessman. And uh, Abby is playing the role of single mother. This is called The Christmas on Christmas. Intro to small town... Snow globe refillery. We see a single mother refilling snow globes with Christmas juice. She is widow. Her husband died in every war. <laughs> I refill globes better than Jesus Claus. Yet still my twins are dad free. Why? They need double dad. <laughs> Businessman enters the shop. He wears clothes that cost money. His hands are briefcases, and he is Hallmark hot. Hi, do your snow globes lack wet? Hurry, Christmas attacks soon. Businessman has a flashback to when he was business boy. A Christmas tree explodes his family on purpose. This is why we dismiss the kids at this point in the gathering. He now hates trees and Christmas and explosions, he exits the flashback. Shut your sound. I am from huge city. I bought your land, and I'm turning it into an oil resort. Rude behavior. This is a family business. I sell families. <laughs> I am a widow. My husband is now bones. Single mother points to her husband's bones in the corner of the room. They are all gift-wrapped in eggnog. All of my wives are bones. That is America. But I must make money for my twins to live. They are prince. I, too, own twins. Please don't have bought my land. Christmas is today. Laugh. I bought Christmas, and now it is never, unless we go on dates. I cannot date because of a snow curse. I pray Santa helps me. Santa cannot help. <laughs> she did not know, but Santa 
was her husband. <laughs> Santa is bones. And bones help nobody. Okay, that was totally ridiculous, right? But you get the idea. You get the idea. Now, there is a serious part to this, I promise you. I think there's two things to say here. One of them is that for all of, uh, of the capabilities that artificial intelligence has, there is clearly a difference, right? There is clearly a difference between robots and humans. And again, to quote my friend Shay, like watch a movie. We, we've all seen that movie. We've read that sci-fi book. There are differences between humans and artificial intelligence. And arguably the most significant difference is, is what we would call the heart, the heart, not, not the organ that is literally pumping blood through your body, but that part of us that is driven by emotions, that is driven by affections. And so, yes, human beings will sometimes make irrational decisions that an algorithm or a bot would never make, but the heart is what makes us imago Dei. Right, created in the image of God. It is our capacity to love and be loved. Our capacity for genuine relationship. The, the other thing that I think needs to be said here is that as ridiculous as um, Hallmark movies are, and I've never really watched any of these, but people tell me that that script is actually like pretty good for, for what they are. But as ridiculous as they may be, we keep making them and we keep watching them because Christmas is a season that evokes deep emotions, right? Powerful memories, this, this season of nostalgia. It, it shoots, it aims right for the heart. And even though we know, you know I think we, we suspend uh, a belief a little bit when we watch these types of movies, but, but even though they're ridiculous, and not based in reality, I think that's also part of the appeal, right? Because oftentimes our lives are chaotic. And so the simple, even silly predictability of these kinds of stories is quite comforting. Which brings us to Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, and the truth that for many of us, the Christmas season is not the most wonderful time of the year. It is hard. It is messy. Whatever, you, whatever words you would use to describe the, the hallmark vision of Christmas, our reality feels like the exact opposite of, of whatever that is. Are you with me? So Isaiah 54, we, we started in verse 4 where it says, Do not be afraid, but the, the chapter actually opens in barrenness. Which is a literal, literal reality that far too many people face. But it is also a metaphor for the human experience in a broken, sin-warped world. Where, where work can, can seem futile. Where relationships fall apart. Where our budget is a mess. Where we fail a class or our bodies break down. Maybe worst of all is the experience of, of being abandoned, right? Forgotten, overlooked, unparented, ignored. This is what the, uh, the Ignatians called desolation. 
Isaiah speaks of this experience multiple times in today's text. Look especially at verse 7 and verse 8. That distance. Now, I want us to remember for just a moment the larger context of Isaiah. is full of warnings. Repent. Return to God or face the consequences of exile. The second half, which is where chapter 54 falls is written after the exile. So in the worst of times, the worst possible thing has happened, and yet it is full of hope about the future. And so even in this, in this chapter that begins in this place of barrenness, that begins in this place of abandonment, we see glimpses of hope throughout the chapter. Again, don't be afraid. You won't be put to shame. You won't be humiliated. God is going to call us back, and God will show us kindness and compassion. And it is these two two words, these two ideas, kindness and compassion, that are massive concepts, not just within the Old Testament and, and Scripture as a whole, but also within human experience. The Hebrew words here are the words hesed and racham. Look, uh, for example, at this promise in verse 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love, my hesed for you, will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed, says the Lord, who has compassion, who has rakam on you. This is a revolutionary idea. Again, not just a truth in Scripture. This is a revolutionary idea in human history that, that God, that the divine would be kind, would demonstrate compassion on his creation. Now, why is God compassionate? It's because of this word, Hesed. This is a hard word to translate from Hebrew into English. Most translators go for loving kindness. But the idea here is love in action. Love that doesn't give up. Love that is committed and lasting. Love that is grounded in a promise or what the Bible calls covenants. Hesed, loving Kindness, love in action. This is tough for us because we love to throw the word love around. You see what I did there? I I am the worst. I am one of the worst perpetrators of this because I love a lot of things. I love a lot of things. I love the World Cup, which sadly just ended this morning. I love my tri-tip marinade. It's so good. I love listening to music on vinyl. I love my wife and my kids. Do you see how that is a little bit different? This word that we throw around for all these things, can, we can use it to express the same truth that, that we feel toward these people who we are committed to, who are deeply involved in our lives, you know, and records. Right? And so I think because of that, we have a hard time understanding just how significant this word is, how radical it is that God loves us. That God has hesed for his creation. In Hebrews, there's a generic word for love, ahav, and then there is hesed. I ahav tri-tip, but I hesed Amy and Marina and Cruz. Are you with me? God doesn't just 
ahavio. He hesed you. My seminary professors would be shaking their head at my use of the Hebrew grammar here. But, but do you hear what I'm saying? God doesn't just ahavio in some sort of generic way. He heseds you. Love in action, committed love, loving kindness, love that doesn't give up. God's hesed is persistent and unconditional. Tenderness, kindness, mercy, generosity, all demonstrated by the commitment to pursue and keep relationship with human beings. God loves because that's who God is. God loves because that's who God is. What does God want? Have you thought about this question? What does God want? God wants you. God wants you. Can't get enough of you. Can't imagine the world, the universe, existence without you. That, that distance that we mentioned a few moments ago, God cannot tolerate that distance from you. Hesed is that determination to win us back, to go looking for us when we get lost. It's God showing up again and again and again and again. Hesed is the Christmas story. John, who uh, we read some of his words earlier in the, uh, the candle lighting moment, he was one of Jesus' disciples, one of Jesus' closest friends during his time on earth. And uh, if you read through the, uh, John's account of the life of Jesus, the Gospel of John, as we often call it, he will refer to himself, as he's writing, as the disciple that Jesus loved. And for a long time, this bothered me. Because it was like, dude, pretty... Pretty full of yourself there, John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Like, that's, that must be nice. And then I, I had this moment, though, where I realized, like, it's actually pretty, pretty profound. Because I do not think that what John is saying is that he is the only disciple that Jesus loved or that he is the disciple that Jesus loved a little bit more than all the other ones. I think this is actually something we need to adopt as a way to see ourselves. Like, I think John's way ahead of the game in understanding which he has loved and how that changes his identity. And so it's not like, I'm John, the disciple Jesus loved. I think it's not John, loved disciple. And how would that change us if we thought about ourselves that way? Steve, the disciple that Jesus loved. James, the disciple that Jesus loves. What if that was how we saw ourselves? I think it's actually quite brilliant what John does there. He opens his telling of the Jesus story in this way. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. If you've been here for this conversation, you know we keep coming back to this comprehensive language, right? All things, not just some things. Or a few things, but all things. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And if you skip down to verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
God now in flesh appearing, right? We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came to us from the father full of grace and truth. Several things to notice here. Notice the in the beginning language connecting the Jesus story to the story, right? The story of scripture, that that language we see in Genesis chapter 1. Notice the comprehensiveness, again, of the language, all things. Notice the metaphor of light and dark, and then notice our Advent theme of incarnation. Or, I love the way that this is translated in the message, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That is hesed. That is love in action, love initiating, love taking risks, love committing, love with skin in the game. Not just a a nice idea, but an embodied, lived truth. Love with skin in the game. At its heart, the Christmas story is a love story. And not in a generic hallmark sort of way, but in this deeply personal way. John, the disciple Jesus loved. Steve, the disciple Jesus loved. God's hesed brings him into our life, our mess, our reals, and our real that things begin to change. We experience transformation. God's hesed makes us whole. We've been talking about how in our day and age, this idea of heart, soul, mind, and strength resonates because we, we are... Uh, understanding more and noticing more about how there are these different parts of who we are, but we are not always given a good framework to integrate that. What integrates us? Hesed. God's love. God's loving kindness. His love and compassion makes us whole. Again, as we read earlier, the same John who wrote about the word becoming flesh, would go on to write these words near the end of his life. Again, as we read through this, just think about John's, again, understanding of himself in relationship to Jesus. The disciple Jesus loved. It's interesting to me that that John, who thinks of himself that way, who names himself that way in in his writing, gives us some of the best insight into, into love and God's love for us. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's hesed makes us whole. And this brings us now to, to the table. And I'll uh, have the band come back and get ready to lead us in a couple of songs. But as we prepare for communion, I want to encourage you to take a moment this morning and just sort of sit with that truth. God's hesed makes us whole. How do we make sense of our lives? How do we, how do we 
uh, experience wholeness and integration and all these big ideas that we've been talking about through this fall. How do, we, how do we know that? It's when we allow God's love into our real, into our mess, and allow it to transform us. When we allow God's hesed to make us whole. And the, the crazy part about this, and John hits on this, in 1 John chapter 4, but the crazy part about this is that it's not about us. It's not about us working a little bit harder. It's not about us trying harder to access this love. It's really just about being open. And so we end really where we started with that posture of openness. That, that posture of receiving. How does God's hesed make us whole? We receive it. We receive it, which is an open-handed posture, right? You cannot receive a gift if you are like this or if you're like this. You can only receive a gift if you are like this. And so my question for you is, which, what is your posture today? What, what is your posture this Advent season? Is it here? Or is it here? What is your posture? Are you ready to receive? Are you ready to receive the great and wide and high and deep love of God? Here's what I want to do for, for, uh, to invite us uh, to the table this morning. Usually I'll say something to sort of prepare us for this. I want us to do this together, though, today. We're going to stand if you're able. And we're just going to read a prayer. This prayer will be up on the screen. And I'll lead us through it. You can read along with me out loud. As we, again, try to move into this posture of openness, this posture of receiving God's hesed, which makes us whole. Would you read with me? Accept, O Lord, our thanks and praise for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the splendor of the whole creation, for the beauty of this world, for the wonder of life, and for the mystery of love. We thank you for the blessing of family and friends, for the loving care which surrounds us on every side. We thank you for setting us at tasks which demand our best efforts and for leading us to accomplishments which satisfy and delight us. We thank you also for those disappointments and failures that lead us to acknowledge our dependence on you alone. Above all, we thank you for your son Jesus for the truth of his word and the example of his life, for his steadfast obedience by which he overcame temptation, for his dying through which he overcame death, and for his rising to life again in which we are raised to the life of your kingdom. Grant us the gift of your spirit that we may know him and make him known, and through him at all times and in all places may give thanks to you in all things.